Be forewarned. If you are easily upset or don't have the stomach for controversy, do not listen to this program. This hard-hitting program may shock you. It may offend you. Unlike Rush Limbaugh, Jim Greenfield doesn't keep half his brain tied behind his back to keep it fair. Jim doesn't care if it's fair. And now, the controversial host, Jim Greenfield. All right, do you want to start over? Yeah. It's the we haven't started yet. Start we haven't started over. yet. Just always start over. This is Jim Greenfield, the Jim Greenfield Show. My mission to boldly go where no talk host has gone before. And I'm here with my loyal producer, at least I think he's loyal, and sidekick. Stu- What's your name? Stuart Rice. That's correct. Quote of the day. The greatest of all follies is believing that which is palpably untrue. It is the chief occupation of mankind. H.L. Mencken. So, let's start... He's making me crazy. I didn't get that. I'm, we're going to edit that out. Well, yeah, I, I'm In, unless you can, <laughs> yeah, Unless you can explain the joke, it's, it's gone, because I didn't get it. Okay. What was the joke? So, um, the first item of the day comes to you from the Bureau of Government Intrusion and Abuse. Now, you know, I do talk about topical stuff and what's going on in the news. It's the same thing everybody else is talking about, like ad nauseum. So I get tired of it a little bit, so I like to get, I like to go a little deeper, but uh, sometimes use the topical news of the day as kind of a launching pad for going deep into uh, profound philosophical issues. I think that's a really good idea. Yeah, this is Ralph Spoil Sport, Spoil Sport. No, mo- I, see, when, when we rehearsed it, that, it went off without a hitch. This is Ralph Spoil Sport, Spoil Sport Motors, world's newest used and used new car dealer. Just look at the extras on this fabulous new car. Sneeze through fender dents, matching doors, sponge-coated edible, st- sponge-coated edible steering column, genuine laminator, wild rack, gun rack, way to look a real wood. Designed with your mind in mind, factory air-conditioned air from a factory air-conditioned factory. So hop in your wife and head out on the freeway in any direction to get to Ralph Spoil Sport, Spoil Sport Motors. Fireside Theater. I didn't have the copy in front of me. It was all off the that, top of my head. Impressive. That is impressive. Okay, so from the Bureau of Government Intrusion and Abuse, President Trump has been talking about repealing Dodd-Frank so that the banks can lend again. The, Dodd, the famous Dodd-Frank bill that nobody in the world knows what it is or what it means. I do recall uh, Herman Cain being asked about Dodd-Frank when he was running for president. Was that 2008, 2012? Yeah, it was 2008. And no, it, was, it couldn't have been. It was 2012 because Dodd-Frank was passed oh, in 2010. That's right, that's right. Okay, good and one. That was good the, one, uh, Stuart. That was the, uh, the, the rent's too damn high, right? That yeah, no, right? that was where, like, they said, well, what? He said, they said, well, what's wrong with Dodd-Frank? He says, well, there are two things wrong, wrong with it, Dodd and Frank. And that was his answer, and everybody thought that was a great answer. It's a terrible answer. Right. So, <laughs> but it was funny. It, it was funny. funny. So, uh, Dodd-Frank, I'm not going to go into the details of what's in Dodd-Frank. I don't know what the hell's in it. I mean, I, you know, I have an idea. Uh, basically, it's an, an excessive new layer of, of uh, government regulation of the banks, creating uh, new bureaucratic agencies whose job is to make life miserable for everybody else, just like all government agencies. But... The, they, 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 they created this Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. CFPB was created by Dodd-Frank. And the CFPB, Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, that's, that's to protect you. 
all of you idiots out there who, t- who are too stupid to know how to avoid do- making stupid deals, that's to protect you guys. And uh, I'm sure that none of you are listening to this show, so I haven't offended anybody, because anybody who would listen to the show obviously has to have a modicum of intelligence. But the, the CFPB works with regulators in large banks, quote, to stop transactions that hurt consumers, such as risky lending. Now think about what that actually means, to stop risky lending. In other words, to make it more difficult for you, because you're a schmuck, to get a loan, because you're too dumb to know what's bad for you. And so they said, well, we're going to protect you from getting a loan so it stops the banks from making, quote, unquote, risky loans. And I know all about this, because since, since 2008, I can't get a friggin' loan anymore, even though I'm a very successful real estate investor. So... But actually, you know, that's not entirely Dodd-Frank, because like I said, it was 2008, Dodd-Frank was 2010, so it started even before that. Right. And the other thing, uh, now this was actually, a lot of people think this is Dodd-Frank, but actually in 2008, a bill was signed by President George W. Bush, a Republican, to create the Federal Housing Finance Agency. What's the Federal Housing Finance Agency, you ask? Or maybe you don't because it sounds so boring that you don't have any interest at all in knowing what it is. Well, it regulates Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. And what are Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac? Well, they used to be semi-private companies that buy mortgages from banks. And the idea is that let's say you get a loan from Bank of America on your for a home purchase or a refinance, right? The The idea is that for Bank of America to be able to make lots of loans, they want to get their money, but they don't want to have to wait 30 years to get their money back as you pay it off over 30 years. So what they'll do is they'll take your mortgage and they'll sell it to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac or Freddie Mac, which are, I, I don't know the difference between Fannie and Freddie. It's all the same to me. I feel like they had a, like a domestic dispute at one point split it up. Used to be, they used and to be in business together. It's sort of together. like the Home Depot Lowe's thing. It's the exact same thing except for home mortgages. I didn't know that Home Depot and Lowe's used to be oh, one yeah. company. Okay. So, well, that makes perfect sense. But uh, so so Bank of America makes the loan to you. They Let's say they loan you $200,000 to buy your home. And then, you know, they, the, the loan is payable, is, is repayable over 30 years. So Bank of America would have to wait years to get their 200000 back. Instead, they sell it to, let's say, Fannie Mae. Fannie Mae gives them the two hundred thousand. They make a, a a profit on the on the fee, and they get the two hundred thousand. They make another loan, and that's supposed to stimulate more lending and more mortgages, more home building, more homes. Everybody's happy. So then Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac they 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 take these loans, they bundle them up with a bunch of other loans, and sell them as as uh, securities, which is what the two thousand eight collapse was all about. And I won't get into that. Nobody cares. It's boring. Although they did make somehow managed to make that movie. What was that? Um, the movie about that? The uh, the big the big short. Oh right, right, right. Yeah, yes. and somehow they managed to make it interesting and entertaining. Partly because when they had a woman explaining what it was all about, in order to make it sexy, they they had a naked woman sitting in a bathtub explaining what happened. And, I mean that. I, that and makes miraculous, a lot more interesting. It, somehow it worked. The, the, the problem is that after the 2008 collapse, the government, in its wisdom, decided that they want to make sure this doesn't happen again. 
And they have they had this federal housing finance agency created, which regulates Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. And the government basically took over Fannie and Freddie. So it's no longer like a private company. It's now a government-controlled agency. And they said, okay, well, we don't want another financial collapse like 2008. So from now on, we're going to make sure that the banks only make safe loans. Translation, you can't get a loan anymore. Now, I know this from personal experience because, like I say, I invest in real estate for a living. What, do you think I make money doing this? Not yet, right? Not yet. Okay. Not yet. So – so what happened is, before 2008, I, I had no trouble getting loans. I own a lot of properties. I could go into the bank. I could borrow against my properties. I'd get loans, buy more properties. After 2008, I go into the bank. doesn't matter which one. They're all the same. And I want to get a loan. They say, okay, uh, we need to see two years' tax returns. I say, okay, well, can I also show you other documentation, like my financial statement, assets that I own, Rents that I'm receiving on properties, contracts that I have, loans that I've made, that I've made. I, I actually lend money also at extravagantly high interest rates. No, no, we don't want to see all that. We just want to look at your tax return. So they'll look at my tax return and then they look at my debt, which they see on my credit report, right? And I, you know, I go into Wells Fargo, I try to go, nope, you get turned out. Why am I turned out? Well, because your debt-to-income uh, ratio is too high based on your tax return and, and your debt. I say, yeah, but but, but what, what about all these properties that I own free and clear? I mean, like zero risk. You know, I, I can't afford it. You're going to take everything I have, right? No, no, no. We don't we don't look at that. It's the new rules. Fanny, we're, we're, okay, so I go to Wells Fargo. I get turned down. I go to Bank of America. I get turned down. I go to U.S. Bank. I get turned down. And every time I get turned down, I say to the loan officer, where where is this coming from? Because they all told me exactly the same thing. It's a formula. They take your debt, they they take your income from your tax return. They they have a, a debt to income ratio. Boom, you get turned down. I said, where did each time I said to the loan officer, where are the where are these rules coming from? Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Those are their rules. Okay, so that's the government. And I figured out that the United States government had made it its policy to make sure there was no housing recovery. Now we. We did ultimately have a housing recovery, okay? And not to, not to toot my own horn or to brag, but about 2012, around 2012, maybe 2013, I started telling everybody I know, there's going to be a housing recovery. Well, how do you know? Well, I know because I'm in the trenches. This is what I do for a living, right? And I saw what was happening. The, the prices of the houses was, went, was going down, down, down. They, they dropped 30% after the 2008 collapse. Why did they drop? Because the government wasn't letting banks loan, so people couldn't buy houses. It's called the law of supply and demand. You cut off the demand for houses by cutting off financing, so the price goes down. So, so the house prices go down, drop 30%. But the rental market is not affected by government regulations at least not by federal government regulations. So rents were going up. Every year, the rents were going up. They were going up substantially. Why were the rents going up so much? Because people couldn't buy houses. When you can't buy a house, you got two choices. Either rent or you live in the street. Most people don't like living in the street because it gets cold, it gets wet. It's nasty, it's dangerous. So they rent. And so the rental market demand went way up. 
rents start going up, 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 up. And I look and I did the calculus. At a certain point, the prices had gone so low and the rents had gone so high, I said, private money is going to start pouring into the housing market. Prices are going to go up. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. Hedge funds and, and, and Wall Street investors started buying houses. Why? Because you, you couldn't get a bank loan. Those guys weren't buying from banks. They were using their own money. Mm-hmm. I was using my own money. To buy a house, you buy the house for 200000 and you get 25000 a year rent for it. And you pay your property taxes. You pay your mortgage. Well, there's no mortgage payment. It's, it's your own money. You pay your property taxes, your insurance, maintenance, and repairs. You're going to get it like a 10 12% return on your money with almost no risk. Almost no risk. The rents aren't going to go down. So money starts pouring in. Sure enough, the housing market turns around. I don't know why I'm talking about this. This wasn't my intended topic. But I ask myself, during all this time, I'm saying to myself, why is the government trying to destroy the housing market? Why are they trying to make it extremely difficult for people to buy homes, even people who are financially strong and stable? You know, these people, when they turn me down for a loan, I said to them, you guys wouldn't lend money to Warren Buffett. I mean, I'm financially solid. There's no reason I should ever, I, I should, I should ever not be able to get a loan. I had never been, I'd never missed a mortgage payment. I've had a lot of mortgages over the years. I've been investing in real estate. I've had a lot of mortgages. Not only have I never missed a payment, I've never been late on a payment. Okay, I'm solid. So I'm thinking, well, why, why are they doing this? Why are they not allowing? Why is the federal government not allowing banks to make loans except based on this stupid, simplistic formula? that has nothing to do with your actual risk of default. And I finally came up with an answer, only recently that I figured out. Okay, now this is a little bit conspiratorial, you know, a little paranoid, and therefore it's probably true. (laughs) Here's what I figured out. Obama and the Democrats didn't want banks to lend to us. They didn't want the banks to lend to us. They wanted the banks to lend to the government. And this is how it works. And I'm not just blaming the Democrats for this because the Republicans were in on it too. So 2008, remember 2008? Oh, we have the crisis. The world's heading into a depression. The whole financial system is collapsing. Yeah, 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 yeah. So what do they do? They come up with the, the, the TARP, the Troubled Asset Relief Program, where the government bails out all of, the, all of the big banks were going out of business. They were all going bankrupt because they'd all gotten into this, this uh, buying these uh, securities secured by, by mortgages, that the mortgages were going bad, the housing market was going down, people were defaulting loans, and all these banks were like deep. They were deep shit. Okay. So they lend, so the, the, the government, and, and Bush was in on it, Obama was in on this because it was during the transition from Bush to Obama. Yeah. Uh, Henry Pawson, Republican... Secretary of the Treasury, Ben Bernanke, the chairman of the Federal Reserve, Bush, Obama, the the Democrats in Congress, the Republicans in Congress, they vote for this $867 billion bank bailout, where the federal government, the Treasury, is going to lend $867 billion to the banks so they don't go bankrupt, right? Where do they get the money? They get it from us, right? regular regular folks. You were going to say something? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. That, I, I just remember at that point they were talking about the eight hundred and sixty-seven billion, and that it wasn't enough. 
Yeah, well, because you know they weren't just bailing out banks; they also bailed out foreign banks. Correct. Now I don't know why the U.S. government would bail. Uh, uh, what was it? The Deutsche Bank. Yeah. They bailed them out. They bailed out AIG Insurance Company. It's not yes. even a bank; it's an right. insurance company. Right. Um, but here's how they did it: they lend the 867 billion to the banks, and they say to the banks, "Okay, now you have to pay us back." Banks say, "Okay, great, we'll pay you back." Now, how are the banks going to get the money to pay the government back? Well, they would normally do it by making loans and collecting interest and paying. But they're not making the loans. They're not making the loans because Fannie and Freddie aren't letting them make the loans. So you know how they do it? Well, uh, they they lend the the money to the banks at 0% interest. And the Fed lends the money banks at 0% interest. The banks then take that money and buy U.S. government treasuries with them, which at that point I think we're paying like 3%. Mm-hmm. So they're borrowing at zero, and they're, bu- and they're lending out at 3% at zero risk because it's the U.S. government. Right. It cannot default. It can print money, right? can't default. That's who they're lending the money to. And so the banks lend this money. that They're getting at zero, and they lend it to the treasury. They get it from the Fed. They get it from the Fed. I misspoke for it. They get it from the Fed. They lend it to the treasury. At 3%, they get it from the Fed at 0%, they let the Treasury at 3%. They make all the profit, and they use it to pay back the $867 billion uh, TARP bailout. And then President Obama's bragging, well, the banks, they all paid it back. Well, yeah, because you gave them the money to pay it back. And then you gave them 3% on top of <laughs> well, it. Well, that was the 3%. That's oh, how yeah, they yeah, paid yeah. it back. That's they paid it back with the, with the profits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my theory is – that was Stuart coughing. Sorry. My theory is – that maybe this wasn't just stupidity. Now, it's very difficult when you're evaluating government policy to tell the difference between malfeasance and misfeasance. They look identical. Misfeasance is when, when government officials are stupid. They're stupid, they're ignorant, they're morons, they don't know what they're doing, they're incompetent. Malfeasance is when they're smart but evil. And, and, and you can't tell the difference. Right, so all this time I'm saying, why are they so friggin' stupid that they don't know that their policies are killing the housing recovery? Now I finally figured it out. They they did that because they didn't want the banks lending to us. They didn't want the banks lending, making mortgage loans to ordinary folk. They wanted the banks to lend the money to the government. So they had to cut off. They had to cut off the mortgage market in order. For, could, could look if the banks could lend money on a mortgage at 5 or 6%, or they could lend it to the government at 25 or 3%, no-brainer. They're going to make mortgage loans, right? But if they can't lend to the, to the public because the regulations are so strict that they make it impossible, then they have no choice. Well, okay, we'll lend to the government. And so the government under Obama was able to borrow trillions of dollars at very low interest rates. That was the trick. They borrowed... They borrowed an additional $10 trillion. When Obama came into office, the national debt was $10 trillion. When he left office, the national debt was $20 trillion. So he doubled the national debt in eight years. In other words, from the time our country was founded in 1789 until 2008, we ran up $10 trillion in national debt. Okay, that was over 230 years. Over the next eight years, we doubled that, another $10 trillion. That's Obama. And they, in order to do that, I, this this is the only way I can make any sense out of it. If you if you know if you want to, unless you assume that they're complete morons and they didn't have a clue what they were doing, 
The only way I can make sense of it is that it was intentional and it was designed to finance the, the growth of big government, expand the government. Now, that, that makes sense to me. And they, they be, I think they actually believe that when you grow the government, it expands the economy because they believe in this, this Keynesian economics. You know, Keynesian ex- economics is the concept that, that during uh, hard times, the government can stimulate the economy by borrowing money and then spending it. And, and, and the way this works, I'm getting off onto a tangent here. The way this works is that's so shocking that I get off into a tangent. You know, you could talk for a minute here so I could save my oh, throat. Yeah, I'm losing my voice. Yeah, you're doing a good job, though. You're talking so well. Yeah, I am, of course. That's what I do. So uh, the way it works is that the way you measure GDP, gross domestic product, which is the measure of economic growth, the way economists measure GDP is that it's consumer spending plus exports plus government spending. Am I missing something? Consumer spending. Oh, no. There's one other thing. Business investment. Consumer spending plus business investment plus exports plus government spending. That's how you measure GDP. Right. So if the government spends an extra uh, trillion dollars during a a given year than it spent the year before, a trillion more, that adds a trillion dollars to GDP. Right. Now, if the government has to borrow that trillion dollars, that's not included in the calculus. See, it's like they borrow the trillion dollars. They don't subtract that from GDP, but the trillion that they spend adds to GDP. So that creates an incentive for government to spend more money, even if they have to borrow it, because then the economy says, oh, look how great the economy is doing. Well, despite the $10 trillion that the, that the Obama administration borrowed, GDP growth during the last eight years was at historically pathetic lows. It was like under 2% for eight years. So even with all that, the economy was actually so bad that they still showed only 2% GDP growth, even with, well, spending an extra $10 trillion that they, that the, that they borrowed. Which, is, which explains a lot why ordinary people say, well, you know, what, oh, the, the, you know, the media is telling us that we're in a recovery, but I don't feel like I'm in a recovery. And that's why you see so many 34-year-olds living with their parents in the basement and you know, either working a part-time job flipping burgers or not working at all so that they have lots of time for playing video games and smoking dope. Why, why are you looking at me like that? I wasn't. I'm not 34. I was looking at you before I started talking about that. I mean, you know, if, you, if the shoe fits, wear it. I, I, I was afraid I said if the foo shits, wear it. But anyway. So, um, so what's interesting, if you don't mind me interjecting. No, go ahead. All right. So what's interesting about that is uh, you're right. I think for the most part, it's ignorance that we don't catch these things, right? Now, I'm not making an excuse for ignorance. You mean ignorance of the, of the of public? The the oh, public. sure. Yeah. Of course. Uh, never do I make a, an excuse for ignorance because if it's important you should go figure it out but economics are economics and finance two subjects that people have a hard time with and they really genuinely do what's interesting about that is that you, what you just discussed is actually something i never even thought about and i spent a lot of time thinking about economics hmm. but the gdp is not affected by national debt and you do you compartmentalize those two things what's the th- there's no stat there's no, there's no number people can attach that take all of that into 
it's not like a P&L statement where you can look at the bottom line and see just a red number or a black number. Well, it's it's just like if you if you bought went to a bank and borrowed a million dollars. Right. And then you said told everybody you were a millionaire. Yeah. Because you got the million dollars sure. and you buy the big house and you take the vacation, you buy the boat. Yeah, I'm a millionaire. Well, yeah, but you owe the bank a million dollars. Yes. So you're looking at the asset, but you're not looking at the liability. So it's like this is how this this is how the federal government does its accounting. Right. Well, it's very confusing. And it's, on purpose. It, on purpose. It's I like a, like an insurance policy. You try to re- you ever try reading an insurance policy? No, no. I, no. You, they're almost incomprehensible. And I was I was I mentioned this to my father one time, who was a Philadelphia lawyer. I said, God, I was reading this insurance policy. It was, it was so hard to understand. He said, Well, they they write it that way on purpose. They don't want they don't want you to understand it. You know, I, I've been uh, railing against government regulations, and and I was thinking maybe I would give a uh, an example from my personal experience of how onerous and oppressive government regulations are. But why don't we take a quick break? All right. Yeah, and do that in the next segment of the Jim Greenfield Show, starring Jim Greenfield, the Hulk ha- the Hulk Hogan of talk radio. I should I should modify that the Hulk Hogan of talk podcast. Yeah. Do they have an expression like that? Talk Do you have podcast. A tear away shirt because I think that would be a good effect. A what? A shirt that you could tear away, just rip right through it with your voice. Could you rip through a sh- shirt with your voice? This joke's not working. I don't this get this joke either. Right You've told it. two jokes today, I, you know, and I didn't get either of them. I know. Oh, I know because I said the Hulk Hogan of talk radio. Yes, it's you know I should I should update about. that to Hulk Hogan retired years ago. Like who's the who's the big guy now? Uh, and you know it, the last you don't follow what you don't follow professional wrestling. Believe it or not, I don't. The last person I know is The Rock. That's I, yeah, The Rock was he like was he like a top? Oh, he was the top guy. Yeah. He was the top guy. So so we call him the 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 Rock Dwayne Johnson. Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Dwayne the the, the Dwayne the Rock Johnson of talk radio. Would That's that it. work? I don't know the Hulk Hogan knows this. Everybody knows who Hulk Hogan is. That's just a great... He's the champ. It's a great name. Okay, we'll be back in just a moment. You won't even notice because we're not doing a commercial break because we don't have anything to sell. We don't have any commercials. No commercials here on the Jim Greenfield Show. Continuing on our way as if nothing had happened. As Winston Churchill put it. You know what that's from? You know what he said? Uh, Winston Churchill said... Keep calm and carry on. What? Winston Churchill said, There are people who occasionally stumble upon the truth, but usually they manage to pick themselves up, dust themselves off, and continue on their way as if nothing had happened. (laughs) I wanted wanted to talk about... To to give it a, a really solid personal example of how government regulation hurts business and hurts the economy. As I say, this comes to you from the Department of Confiscation and Exploitation. My partner and I, uh, a few months ago, we purchased a commercial property. Obviously, we want to lease out the space and the building. Well, we also came across the idea of having food carts in the parking lot. Well, one of the guys who wants to own a food cart, uh, who wants to operate a food cart there, he wanted to open a tap room 
on the second floor of our building to serve beer and wine to the customers who buy food from the food cart. Okay. Right. Okay. So we, 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 we signed a lease with him and, and I told him, you know, he's a younger guy. I said, you know, you know what the hardest thing is going to be here for you to get your business up and running. It's going to be government agencies who are going to be doing their best to make your life miserable because that's their job. So he has to get, he has to get a, a liquor license from the Oregon Liquor Control Commission and he has to get a building permit from the Portland City of Portland building department to have this tap room. So where the drinking just will be public. It won't just be in someone's, you know, drawer. Yeah. Right. Okay. Right. Okay. So now he's he's looking at a family family oriented business. People come in with their families, uh, buy a meal from a food cart, come in, sit down at his place, order some beer. He's not planning to stay open till two o'clock in the morning. No live music, no new girls. Just, just maybe a, that's the problem. Maybe room. if he had those things, well, it would be. So we get a couple. There's a couple of people who have this business next door to ours who are a pain in the neck, and they organize a petition of people in the people in the neighborhood who apparent, purportedly are alarmed that we're going to have a. a a bar there. And obviously they're envisioning just what I was talking about, the loud music till two in the morning. And so they get, they get this petition, they give it to the OLCC. And I said to the, to our town, I said, you need to hire an attorney. <laughs> and I knew this because I had dealt with the OLCC before and they are a bunch of assholes. So he doesn't do it. He doesn't hire the attorney. The OLCC turns him down. In the meantime, the building department, when he asked for the permit to change the use of the property, they said, well, we'll do it. We'll give you the permit on, on condition that you take six foot of frontage on your property. There's an existing sidewalk, a six foot sidewalk. You have to add another six feet. And that's a sidewalk. Lo- of sidewalk along 140 feet of frontage on the street. Plus, there's a side street there that they never paved, which is the city's job. It's the city's responsibility to pave it, right? Well, they want us to pave it at our cost. So the tenant, the tenant comes to us as a landlord, and we say, we're not doing that. What, you think we're going to spend fifty dollars or $60,000 for you to you – know, we're not doing that. So he can't get the permit, and he can't get the liquor license, and he backs out of the deal. So here's a guy trying to start a small business – and the, the, the moral of the story is government regulators destroyed this guy. He lost thousands of dollars. We lost thousands of dollars. And why? Because they're doing their job. This is what they do. Now, this isn't the federal bureaucracy. This is a, this is a local bureaucracy. But I have been dealing with this for 40 years that I've been in business. I could tell you horror stories all day long of government regulators who do everything they can to make life miserable for small business people. Large corporations hire armies of lawyers to deal with these with these assholes. Small businesses just get put out of business. I, got, I had to deal with one where it was we had to move an old oak tree six feet. That was holding up a $5 million project. We had to move an oak tree six feet. And for what company? 
I don't want to talk about. I don't. Okay, I don't, you don't I want to mention the name. But so you know what I'm talking about. Oh, totally know what you're talking about. It's ridiculous. A lot of that stuff is ridiculous, and it's it, it, that is a it's a you know yeah we can give you this liquor license, but we want something in return. Well, that, no, that was the building code. The, the liquor license, they're, they're just not giving it to them. Yeah, this one. No, we, you know we we could get it. We, we, eventually, I, I wouldn't be surprised if somebody on that property is going to get a liquor license. Sure. But they'll have to spend maybe five, ten thousand in attorney's fees, and for a small business who's who's trying to start that's up on very you know with thirty or forty thousand in capital, that's a lot of money. Well, I, so, say, I think it's interesting the vis a vis. It's uh, a, we'll give you the liquor license, but you have to do all of the structure. And no, the that was the permit. That was, that was for the separate. Permit. That was for the, the. There's two separate things. One oh, is the I'm liquor sorry, license, okay. which is a state agency, the sure. Liquor Control Commission. Right. Then there's a local city government. That issues building permits, oh, I see. and they said you want your building permit. You're going to have to spend all this money on doing improvements that that actually the city is supposed to spend right. pay for, but they'd rather spend it on homeless shelters. So, look, you, you know the thing you were talking about the tree. I'll give you another. I'll give you another one that reminded me of one. Many many years ago, I, I lived uh, out in the country, and and we had uh, trees on our property. We had a lot of trees. And we had a stream running through the property, which previous owner had, had dammed up and created a small lake. And I used to get into arguments with people who would say, this isn't a lake, it's a pond. And I'd say, no, it's a lake. And so, you know, not, not to get too far into the weeds on that, but at one point I was having an argument with somebody about whether it was a, a lake or a pond, and I looked it up in the dictionary. I said, well, I, I win the debate because here's, look at the, you know, here's the dictionary definition of a lake. And he said, well, what is it? I said, a lake is, a, is an inland body of water larger than a pond. Well, anyway, so the, the point, the point that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is, so at one point I had to do some logging on the property. Okay. Not taking all the trees down, just thinning it out. Right. And I was trying to raise money to pay for my defense in, in the sexual harassment lawsuit. And that's another story, which I won't tell you right now. I, I had the pleasure of being a defendant in a sexual harassment lawsuit, so I figured out how that deal works. So anyway, we had a tree that had blown down in a windstorm. Big tree blew down in a windstorm into the lake. So when the loggers came, I said, oh, uh, I want to make sure that you take that tree too. I said, oh, we can't take that. I said, what do you mean? He said, that tree is within 25 feet of the stream bed. And therefore, it's regulated by the <coughs> Department of Environmental Quality, and we're not allowed to take it. I said, it's, it's dead. <laughs> it's already fallen into the lake. It's been in there for two years. It's dead. We want to get it out. No, we can't do that. It's against the law. You can't. Well, it's, well what's it within 20? <laughs> it's within 25 feet. It's against, the, it's, it's against the regulation. That's government. Yes. That's it. You that's know, what I, we. That's those are the laws yes. that we allow ourselves to live under. Now, do you think that there was anything more oppressive than the laws that I'm talking about that were in existence in 1776 when our ancestors decided that they need to throw off the king, the rule of King George? Do you think it was worse than this? Uh, probably not, because there weren't as many rules, right? Right. That was the thing. There's not as many rules. What, what is it about? Um, Government, government requires these rules, right? Like it, that's the whole 
gist of it is that anybody should be able to jump into these roles in government and be able to govern us. That's basically why there are so many rules. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you agree that that's kind of the reason we have all the regulations is because the people that are in government now say if there's anybody dumber than any of us that get into these jobs, we have to make sure that we uphold. But, that, but that's it. Like you've got people who are stupider than you are telling you how to live your life. Yeah. Well, that's yeah, that's, that's absolutely that's true. the problem. Uh, uh, Bob Dylan said, uh, "The masters make the rules for the wise men and the fools." Mm-hmm. And and I read in a newsletter, "Beware of bureaucracy! Be- beware of bureaucracy! It is filled with sick people with nothing to do who dominate you with their rules and regulations." But when I'm dealing with them, I try to remain philosophical. So I don't get angry with them. I just understand that they're just doing their job, which is, like I say, to make my life miserable. Right. And that makes it much easier. So, right. you know. It's successful. That's the real And I'll tell them, I said, look, I understand you're just doing your job, which is to make my life miserable. This is Rush Limbaugh with half my brain tied behind my back just to make it fair. Actually, it's Jim Greenfield with half my brain not tied behind my back to keep it fair. I don't care if it's fair. This is Rush Limbaugh with Talent on Loan from God. Actually, it's Jim Greenfield with Talent Not on Loan from God. It's a gift. Here on the Jim Greenfield Show with Stuart Rice, my producer. Did that come with a gift receipt? That's the third joke I didn't get. <laughs> that no for You know, I got an idea. Why don't we work on your jokes before we go? Maybe on? that's yeah. the thing. Someone's going to get them. You know, they may be just so good. It's possible. Doubtful. So this uh, segment of the Jim Greenfield Show is brought to you by the Demise of Common Sense Department. Quote of the day, there are many things in life that are more important than money, and they all cost money. Fred Allen. I wanted to continue a theme which we started in a previous show, which was the, the, the decline and fall of America, alternatively entitled The Impending Collapse of America, and I talked about the different strands of that, the, the impending economic collapse due in large part to the, the, the uh, out-of-control national debt. The which, secret debt. The, the secret debt as well as the debt that's on the books. The total debt, about $147 yep. trillion dollars that we can't pay back. But the, you know, we also talk about the other aspects of problems with the economy, such as the expansion and growth of the megastate, sometimes called the deep state, the federal, state, and local bureaucracies that have put a stranglehold on our economy, not only by taking resources out of the private productive sector of the economy and putting them into the unproductive, wasteful, fraudulent, abusive public sector of the economy, which is the bureaucracy, but also by the fact that that bureaucracy then uses its much of its efforts to put a, a, an additional stranglehold on business with oppressive and onerous regulations and rules, which is what we were just talking about. 
But there are other aspects of the decline and fall of America, some more subtle. One thing that I talked about in a previous show was the the gradual demise of our system of, of constitutional government, our limited, a system of limited constitutional government, which ultimately could mean the decay and denigration of our republic and the erosion of many of our constitutional rights as government power expands. It's axiomatic. As government power expands, the, the ambit of individual liberty proportionally contracts, and that's what's been going on for, for more than 100 years now. The declines of great civilizations are typically either accompanied by or caused by, and it's sometimes difficult to tell the difference between cause and effect. But moral decay is typically a part of that. Stuart and I had a big argument in a previous show. Discussion. About, it was an argument about, about homosexuality, which I view as a symptom of that moral decay. But it's not just homosexuality. It's, it's hedonism. It's the breakdown of the family. It's out-of-wedlock birth. And by, by way of example, when I grew up in the 50s, which, of course, was the golden age of America and the standard by which I measure everything, it was considered a scandal if two people lived together, man and woman, who weren't married. That was scandalous. I mean, if a, if a, if, if a guy had a, a woman living with him and they weren't married, he wouldn't let his employer know. He wouldn't bring, he wouldn't bring the girlfriend to company functions. That wasn't done. It was very rare for people to cohabitate. It wasn't done. If you wanted to live together, you get married. And the divorce rate, of course, was also very low in those days, about 3% compared to 50% now. So we've seen a, a decline and disintegration of the traditional nuclear family, a rise of the, the, the so-called sexual revolution, I guess it's, you know, nobody bothers to call it that anymore. That's what we called it in the 60s when it was starting. Basically, anything goes. And it's, it's not just hedonism and, and sexual promiscuity. It's also uh, sexual deviance, which Stuart and I are. I don't want to start that argument over again. I can see Stuart's just, I'm going to tell by the look on your face, you're just dying to get into and start arguing with me, using, calling calling it deviancy, but that's what it is. And, uh, but we're not, we're not going there. Um, but another aspect of this, of course, is the, the rise of drug abuse and drug addiction, which is also out of control. Now, again, when I was growing up, when I went to high school, do you know how many people I knew who sm- smoked marijuana? Uh, three. None. You didn't know any? Nobody. I didn't know anybody who smoked marijuana. I'd heard of marijuana. It was, I think it like, you know, uh, people who lived in inner cities and slums were associated with that kind of stuff. But no, there wasn't any marijuana in the suburb. You know, we drank. We'd steal liquor from our parents. Okay. So okay. there's still drug abuse. Well, there was something, but it, it wasn't anything like we have today. And, of course, we have the the abuse, not just of illegal drugs, but the abuse of legal drugs, right. where people abuse their prescriptions and, and there's... I don't know where I put it. I had an article about it which went through the statistics. But there are millions and millions and millions of Americans today who are abusing drugs of one kind or another. I would agree with you on that. <coughs> we get, we give me a cough button. 
Uh, You're the producer, the yes. tech guy. We need a cough button okay. here, right? I can do that. That was the first time I've coughed since we I know, that's impressive. Yeah. Since you've been chain smoking the entire time. Oh, we don't have video. I can't, I can't make yeah. that joke. Was that a joke? Uh, nah. No. So that, that's part of it. We have a large portion of our population which basically is debilitating themselves by causing brain damage by the use of uh, use, overuse, and abuse of mind-altering drugs. Then another, another strand of the decay and, and decline in America is what's happening in our education system. I, I've heard people talking about the kinds of stuff that they're teaching in colleges now that passes for academics. And I don't claim any expertise in this, but just to give you one small example. Several months ago, I was listening to NPR. Yeah, I actually listened to NPR, National Pinko Radio, in order to understand how the enemy thinks. And they announced that they were interviewing a Cornell professor. So I went to Cornell, and so my ears picked up, oh, a Cornell professor, this will be interesting. And then, I, then they said, yeah, uh, so-and-so is a professor of hip-hop culture at Cornell. He's a professor of hip-hop friggin' culture. Sure. Now, when I was at Cornell, we were studying Plato and Socrates. We weren't studying hip-hop culture. And I think that the decline actually started, I seem to remember my, my senior year of college. I had a friend who, who took a course in rock and roll appreciation. I said, what? I have a course. There's a course in rock and roll appreciation? That was the beginning of the end. And a lot of students are now taking courses, which are pure, absolute garbage. They have no value at all. They teach nothing of any use. And this is where a significant portion of our educational resources are being spent today. Or if they study history, they'll study, like, the history of feminist thought or some crap like that. They don't study real history of what actually happened, the things that are important. It's like they've, they've taken our 21st century modern intellectual fad view of stuff and imposed it on the way they look at history. So so that's one aspect of the decay in higher education. Now, the other aspect, of course, is that free speech is now considered the exception on college campuses. Now, to me, if you're going to college, a period of your life where you're taking, you're not going into the workplace, you're taking a period of, of years for young people to f form their minds, to learn how to think, to learn about life. And the essence of that experience is the free exchange of ideas. Mm -hmm. If you can't freely exchange ideas, what's the point of going to college? You're going to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars and go into debt to go to a place where only one set of uh, – there's, there's an orthodoxy that's being taught and you're not allowed to dissent from that? and where they have safe spaces, and where if they try to invite conservative speakers onto campus, liberal fascist thugs threaten them with violence, destroy property, put hoods over their heads so they can't be videotaped, and threaten people with violence to shut down that particular type of thinking. This, to me, is, is, it's, it's, this is possibly the, the scariest thing that's going on in America today. This is brown shirts. This is Hitler's brown shirts using violence to shut down people they don't agree with. So liberal fascism is taking over college campuses. And 
it's it's bizarre. It's what these people believe is bizarre. It's almost unimaginable that they think that they need to have safe spaces where they can get hot chocolate and and draw pictures like little children to get away from somebody saying something that they don't agree with because that's so emotionally disturbing to them. What the hell? How did we get to that place? How how were these children raised that that they're 20 years old and if they hear somebody say something that they don't agree with, they become catatonic and have to go to a safe space to draw pictures and have hot chocolate like a five-year-old? I don't know how this happened. Is it, the, is it the public education system that's teaching them all, the, the, that's indoctrinating them with all this, this liberal dogma and, and telling them you know, that, that anything other than that is, is evil and is trying to destroy you and that, that that's so scary to them that, that they can't handle it? I don't understand how this is happening. I, I, Naturally, I expect you to, to tell me. I, I, I honestly, to, to be completely honest, I don't know if I can actually answer this question. What I can do is I can break down what you've just said. And we can address each one of those. And I, can, I think, do I think they're all interconnected? I absolutely believe they are all interconnected. And, and let's see if we can figure out what the issue is and then see if we can solve it from there. So let's start with the drug, um, with the drugs. Any, and I, I do lump alcohol into as a, as a, what do you want to call it, a controlled substance or whatever you want to call it. Prescription drugs... Uh, alcohol, illegal drugs, all of them, all get lumped into the same thing because they're all designed to do the same thing, which is escapism. That's escaping a reality that doesn't that uh, does not work for your mental well-being, I guess. Okay, and so for uh, for a lot of uh, drug use, I you know I'm not going to say as a blanket statement all things, but I think that there are some issues with. It's primarily a mental health issue that we do not address for a lot of things. And I think it's been prolonged for a very long period of time and that people have found ways to self-medicate because they don't have, know any other way to, to handle it. And I think, actually, I was talking about this with someone recently about how we, mental illness is such a bad statement to make. And we don't like to use the word mental illness. I don't know what else to call it. Mental health? Whatever it is. Oh, I didn't know. Was I didn't know that mental illness is now a banned word. Is that like a, a politically incorrect I word? Have no also, idea. But I mean, I, mean, I hadn't heard that. There's one. a negative connotation to it. Well, so, no shit. Yeah, right. But I would argue like you're that, mentally ill. I mean, you think you're gonna? Yeah, but you I get into an argument with your wife and you tell her she's mentally ill. How do you think that's gonna it, go? It does not go. Well. I mean, I can tell you from experience how that goes. <laughs> My first wife. Yeah. Uh, yes. Cause I I never I never tell my current wife that she's no, mentally ill. No. But I think what happens is we don't address those things. And then what happens is people find other ways to deal with it. And unfortunately, I don't think we understand mental health at uh, all. Look, I, I, don't think, I don't think that young people are using marijuana because they're all mentally ill. I'm not saying all. I think it, I I'm think not saying ma- all. Ma- marijuana will cause mental illness. And I, and I speak from experience on that also. I mean, you know, I was smoking pot when I was in college. And it was making me crazy. Really? Oh, yeah. Huh. It was definitely contributing to a, den- a, a downward mental spiral. Well, I know it can. That ultimately led in, you know, I, ultimately I, I took a leave of absence from college. I stopped using it. Sure. Because it was, 
you know, I, I had some bad experiences and I stopped using it, fortunately. Right, which is, that would be... But I see other people. I see other people. I've seen a lot of people whose lives have been ruined just by marijuana. And, I, you know, look, I, I, I'm not... Whenever I start criticizing marijuana, people, the, the, the argument I hear, the counter-argument I always hear is, well, alcohol is just as bad. I, I would say both are bad. And I don't, <laughs> I don't smoke pot. I don't drink alcohol either. I don't do anything that would cause any diminishment in my brilliance. Mm-hmm. Why would you want to take something that causes your brain to be duller? I don't, you know, and I'm not being preachy about this. I'm sure most of the people listening drink because most people in America do, mm-hmm. and that's fine. I'm, you know, I'm not preaching at you, but why the hell do you? Why the hell you do it? I don't know. That's your business. Is it really worth it to get a couple of hours of a buzz, but you're killing brain cells and your brain? You know, over 10, 20, 30, 40 years of drinking, you don't think that's affecting your brain? I don't know. There are a lot of people who get Alzheimer's. I wonder how many of them were teetotalers. I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I'm not proposing uh, a new scientific theory about this, but I don't see how it's doing a hell of a lot of good. Cognitive dissonance. It doesn't matter what you say. Okay. All right. So yeah, that's right. It, it does not matter. Whatever the – we know liver damage happens from alcohol. People still drink. We know that marijuana can cause depression. We still smoke. It also causes a decline in your IQ, and that's now documented. Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah, you can see up to a seven-point swing downward, so, never upward. Like It's like we don't have enough stupid people. Right. So let's legalize marijuana so we can have more. Right. And and, and you know what? I've been waiting for you, Stuart, to make the argument, well, legalizing it doesn't cause people to use it more. I, I, it does. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. I it have does. no idea. Well, let me ask I've you this. I've never met the person that was like, well, it's a good thing you made it legal because I, now I can smoke. I've never met that person. Well, let me ask you a question. Do you think that le- the legalization of pornography made it more common? Um, it made the production of it more common. You don't think it made the viewing of it more common? Um, no, I think technology made the viewing of it more common. No, it's not technology, and I'll tell you why. If you go back 40 or 50 years, pornography was... Illegal, and I think in every state. It was hard to obtain, yeah. Yeah. So you couldn't get it. True. Okay? And then the Supreme Court struck that down, said it's a, it's a First Amendment right, it's constitutionally protected, you can't make it illegal. Right. Now, you're driving home from work, you probably pass by two or three porno video stores. Which I'm sure shocked that they're still in existence. And and so, well, okay, that that's what happened there. Now we've got the internet, right? Right, right. But you pass by... So, ordinary, you know, before that, you would have to really go to great lengths to get porn and get black market porn, and only total sleaze bags would bother to do it. Now, ordinary middle middle class guys driving home, oh yeah, yeah, it's fa- fantasy adult video. I think I'll stop by and get some porn. So, and I'm not arguing for or against pornography. I'm just saying that that after it became legal. It became accessible to hundreds of millions of people who otherwise wouldn't have had access to it. So the same the same is true of, of drug drug legalization. You you could stop you could stop the drug epidemic. You could stop it by waging a war on drugs. No, that has never worked. It's never it's it, it, it has never worked where it hasn't been done. What we've had is a war of words 
on drugs, but not a real war on drugs. What we've had is something that they call a war on drugs, but is not an actual war on drugs. They haven't declared. They haven't fought a war against drugs. I'm not. I'm not sure where the war on. Uh, to me, that's like saying a war on terrorism is. It's the same. To me, it's the same thing. You're saying a war on terrorism. Where's the last terrorist? Well, uh, where, when you say a war on drugs, where does the war end? You can't. You can't have a wage a war against an ideal. You can't wage a war against something that isn't. Oh yeah, you, yeah, you like, can. I don't see how you do it. I can tell you. Okay, it's been done. I mean, there have been places where they had a real war on drugs. Mm-hmm. Now, let me back up. A war on terrorism is real. You, we sent troops to Afghanistan, right? They killed actual terrorists. They killed them. So yeah. that's a war. Yeah. Now, but, but we're never going to get them all. That's my point. Well, you, you can't say it's a war on terrorism because you can't kill terrorism. It's an idea. I'm not shifting topics to war on terrorism. <laughs> Sorry I brought it up. The point I is, the point is that if you really wanted to stop the drug, drug abuse epidemic, if, if, you had a, if you had a leader who was really committed to it, he didn't just play lip service to it, but really wanted to, it could be done. Now, I'll give, you, I'll give you an example. Many years ago, there was an international conference on, on the AIDS epidemic, which was kind of new at that time. And they were talking about how AIDS could be spread by, by drug use, by use. Uh, Needles. Needles, with the needles, right? Mm-hmm. That, that was one of the ways it was being spread. The health minister from Iraq was at the conference. And they were talking about drug abuse problems. He says, well, in Iraq, we have no drug abuse problem because in Iraq, drug abusers are hanged. So you can do that. Now, I'm not advocating hanging drug abusers. I'm not advocating it. Uh, you know, I'm willing to entertain the idea, but I'm not advocating it at this point. In China, when the communists took over in 1947, there was an epidemic of opium. There was millions of people were addicted to opium. Right. And the the new Chinese regime wanted to put a stop to it. So they, I believe they imposed a death sentence for opium use. It stopped. They were putting him in jail. They were executing. It stopped. People stopped using. <coughs> now, I, I also heard a story that when the United States was in Vietnam, many of the uh, troops got addicted to heroin in Vietnam. And the U.S. government policy was, you want to go home? You got to get clean. The guys got clean. Mm-hmm. So it can be done. You just, you just need a strong enough incentive system. We don't have a war on drugs. I know I know this from personal experience. I, I think I may have mentioned this before. My, I have kids who've gotten involved in drug use, and they get picked up the police. They don't do anything. Right. There's no friggin' war on What do you mean war on drugs? I wanted them to put my son in jail. I wanted him to learn this is the consequence, and they wouldn't do it. War on, there's no war on drugs. No, I agree. There is not. There's a war, war of words. Drugs. Sure. That's it. You don't remember? I absolutely remember it. Uh, no, I think I think what I was going to say was, um, yeah, I don't think we have actually done a war on drugs. You're 100% correct. The war on drugs we had doesn't necessarily work. 
I think at this point it's really difficult to run a war on drugs because of the technology, because accessibility is so much easier than it's ever been. You, you can go out and you can start locking up people for doing, for doing drugs, but all we're doing then is we're funding these privately held jail prisons and we're populating these privately held prisons and incarcerating more, more and more people. I don't know if that necessarily well, stops it because the prisons are not places where it's rehabilitations. The, pri- the prison's a place where once you escape or once you get out, you're going right back into that lifestyle because uh, you're not able to do anything else. It's a, it, it is a, it's not a, an issue that's so easy that we can just say, if we do this, then this will happen because we don't take a look at the three steps down the line. Well, I, I do I do make it my business to offer simple solutions to complex problems. Yeah. That is the essence of what I do here. So I'm, I'm okay with that. But the, the, the argument I would make, and, and I, I don't, again, I don't have any illusions that anything that I believe in is going to happen. Right. I, mean, I feel like I have, my side, if I have a side, has lost the culture wars. We've lost the policy wars. And it ain't going to change. It's going down. And so I'm, I'm not trying to make these arguments in order to support the side of, uh, of the ideas that I believe in, you know, freedom and traditional values. No, because that's not going to do any good. The war is already over. However, just as, as, a, as a thought exercise, what I would say is if you really want to have a war on drugs – it's not sufficient to go after dealers. Now, they don't, they don't even do a very good job of going after dealers. But if you really want to do it, you have to go after the users. You have to go after the users. And if you started putting users in jail, then that would enable them to get the dealers because you get the user. You know, you've all seen the crime dramas on TV. You've all seen the police dramas. You, get, you pick up the user, you say... Well, you can go to jail for six years, or you can tell us who your dealer is, and you only go to jail for six months. Tough choice. That's how you would do it. So, it it could be done if you had a if you, if you had a government that was committed to doing it. But that you know, it's not going to happen. But um, yeah, you could do it if you had a government willing to do it. Absolutely correct. But then, what do you give up? in order to get that to happen. You have to give up something. We're $147 trillion you give up, in debt. You give up, you give up drug addiction. No, no, no. You have to give up something else. It's, it, it, oh, actually, it is a zero-sum game. Actually, the, the, the explosion of the cost of incarcerating people that is feared by, by liberals and people who don't believe in don't don't believe in law and order that explosion never actually materializes because when you implement the new policies it just it deters the crime so that they they don't happen at the same rate yeah i don't i don't i mean in happens. other words the best way to get people out of jail is to start putting people in jail because when you start doing that they stop engaging in the behavior that's causing people to go to jail Mm-hmm. Yes, and what do you do in the aftermath of that when people cannot be are not as employable as they were before? 
and what happens in that well case. to me as as an employer and i've been an employer mm-hmm. i would much rather hire an ex-con than a, than a dope head yes but we were i mean you know, you're not employable i i wouldn't when i was in business i wouldn't hire people who smoke pot if i knew i wouldn't hire them they don't make good employees they get to work late they make mistakes they're they're dishonest you know, with all due respect, I hope I'm not offending you personally. I think potheads are a bunch of losers. I don't, I don't want to work with them. I don't want them working for me. So I, but ex-cons, I don't have a problem about ex-cons. I, I did hire some ex-cons. Yeah, you don't. And they were people who, you know, people, people who wanted to turn their lives around. Yeah. And no one else would give them a chance. I'm willing to hire guys like that. They can be very good employees. Yeah. So can potheads. I, you can say that about anybody. <clears throat> I, that, that's true. Sometimes people get put into a particular situation, they mess up. What I'm saying is we look at all of that equally. If we look at drug users and ex-cons and murderers and rapists and all of those things, it's the same thing, right? And then we lump them all into the same institution and we let the institution deteriorate because it's all run for profit. <laughs> and the best way to keep profits up you're talking about privately, uh, privately run jails? Yeah. Oh, contract. Yeah, I don't know about that. I mean, I haven't, I haven't researched that issue. I'm not going to take a stand on it one oh, way or the other. Fair enough. But what I'm saying is we don't rehabilitate people. That's not our goal. No. When they go into jail. We're punishing them. Yeah. And that does not equal well, I, I don't, employable people. Believe it or not, I don't, I don't have a problem about rehab. No, we should have more re- rehabilitation. No, yeah, I, I think. exactly what we should be doing. I think uh, – it would work better if you had a rehab program in the prisons, and then when they get out, when they're on parole, stay in it, or they have yeah. an, out, an outpatient re- rehab program. Yes, and they should continue to be tested. Oh, and, so we can agree. On yeah, that. no, I, I I agree with that. Okay, so let me let me move on. <clears throat> One other aspect, and this is where I know I'm going to get an argument from you, <laughs> and this again is from the my God, am I here all alone department. One of the aspects of our cultural decay that is taking us down, it, 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 an example that shows just how far down we've already come and how bizarre the culture has become, is this whole transgender thing. And the, the political correctness now has, has gone to points. You know, conservatives basically accept all this stuff. Now, they keep their mouths shut. Conservatives no longer speak up for traditional values and speak out against these things. Most conservative pundits. That's because most of them are breaking behind closed doors. Yeah. I, I you know, I'm, uh, I, I'm not, I'm not intimidated and I'm not afraid to uh, speak out about these things. The, the transgender thing. It's like, what? What the hell is that all about? When it first started, which was probably what, late 60s, early 70s? There was, some, there was some transgender who started going on the Johnny Carson show. And at first, everybody thought it was so amusing, you know. It was, like, it was kind of like a, 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 a phenomenon. But I, my take on this is that, that a man who believes that he's a woman has a psychiatric disorder, and it should be treated accordingly. And I'm, I'm pretty certain that, that, that it used to be viewed that way, that, that psychiatrists viewed that as a psychiatric disorder. In fact, they used to view homosexuality as a psychiatric disorder, and, which I think is also correct. 
failed miserably at it. What, what do you mean? I mean, it, it didn't work. There's no nobody has been rehabilitated out of being gay. That's never is that right? And what's your source for that information? Uh, anybody I've ever talked to. Well, everybody you've ever talked to is wrong because if you go online and research it, you will find that there are many people who will testify that they used to be gay and they no longer are. Uh, yes, if you look at the percentage of those people versus the well, now you're talking percentages. People. You started out by saying no one, no one I know. No, oh, no one you know. Well, what's that. what's the universe of people you know compared to the number of people on the planet? A lot of okay. People, How many lot, people I, do you know? I, well, I do know a lot of people. Do you know two hundred? I know more. Do you know two thousand more homosexual people than you do? That's. I'm just going to say that. I'll concede that. Okay. Okay. I've lost the argument. Right. You know more. You know more I know homos more than I do. Homosexual people than you do. Right. right. Well, and the homosexual you people, you people you know, are still homosexual, mm-hmm. and therefore you conclude that nobody has ever no, has ever because of the cured that. That I've talked to that have had the rehabilitation done to them. Yeah. None of them have done that. And how many have you talked to? Uh, that have had that situation. That have least, gone to rehab. Who have at tra- least twenty. You've t- you know you have talked at to at least twenty. Okay, let me just understand what you're saying. Yes. You know twenty people that you've. T- I just hang on a minute. Yeah. I'm just trying to clarify what sure. you're saying. You're saying that you know twenty people yep. who have tried to cure homosexuality, treated it as a disease that they've tried to cure, mm-hmm. gone through therapy yes. to to stop being homosexual and try to change, switch over, become heterosexual, mm-hmm. and all 20 of them failed. Mm-hmm. That's what you're saying? Yes. Okay. And, and from that, you extrapolate that nobody has ever successfully made that yeah, transition. No, from my survey, is there, a, is there a standard deviation off of that? Absolutely. Well, that's if an interesting use of the term to, standard deviation. If we go on well, and look at the population of homosexual yeah. people that have gone through some sort of rehabilitation and have come out completely heterosexual, I find, I believe... I don't have the facts. If you have less than 5%, you can almost take a statistical zero. Well, and I'm I sure think the operative... I would bet $500 right now I'm accurate in that statement. Well, the, the, I think the operative statement there is when you said that you don't have the facts. Possible. Okay. So if there is one person who's ever made the transition from from gay to straight that means it's possible and in fact no that's and, and i don't statistical zero jim that's a statistical zero oh it's a statistical zero yeah well you Not don't know do, do you have any do you have any statistics do i have any statistics yeah do, do you know how many people have have gone through rehabilitation to go from do you have the name from, of this one ha- hello do you have any statistics on the number of people who have gone through through rehabilitation to transition? No, I don't. Okay, so okay, let's so just that, drop the point then because it doesn't make Yeah, but the, the difference between you and me is that I'm not, I'm not making claims I'm making based claims on nothing. I'm making based on absolute No, all, the only – no, you, no you're, saying, you're saying it doesn't – you started – you've shifted your position under fire. You started out saying it can't happen, it doesn't happen, it doesn't exist. I don't believe it you does. You then – well – there are people, as, as I said, there are people who have made that transition. Who? I don't know their names. Yeah, that's the thing. Is okay, I I'll, tell you what, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. Before the next show, yeah. there, there can't be statistics on it, Stuart. You know and I know that the powers that be will not allow it to be studied. 
They will not study this. They have studied. Nobody is going to do a grant to do a study of rehabilitation of homosexuals because the powers that be, under political correctness, have already concluded that it's bogus, that it can't be done, that, that, that homosexuality is not a psychiatric disorder, that it is genetic, that it's genetically inherited trait, although, as I, I think I argued successfully last time we discussed this, that's impossible. And therefore, they will not permit it to be studied because in order to study it, you have to try to subject homosexuals who want to make that transition to that kind of rehabilitation. And they consider it unethical to try to, to rehabilitate a homosexual to get him straight. The psychiatric community, the, psychologi- the psychologists, they've concluded that that is improper, that it's an abuse, that it's malpractice, so they wouldn't allow such a study to occur. And therefore, there is no study. As far as I know, there never has been a study. Now, maybe before the political correctness set in, maybe somebody did a study on it. I don't know. It's been attempted. But I do know that there are Christian groups who claim that people who have turned to Christianity, and like, I'm not a Christian, so, you know, I don't have a dog in this fight, but they claim that that their faith has enabled them to get away from what they consider to be sinful behavior and to make the transition to become heterosexual. Okay? And I have no doubt that it's possible. I have no doubt that it's possible because I think that, you know, if somebody's got crossed wires, it is possible to, to, to do a technical fix where you straighten the wires out. Make, why does it matter to you? I don't understand why this is even a big issue. What, what, because, as, as I've explained to you before... Come over and at, knock over look, your house? Look, I don't for, understand for, what they're going to do. The, the point is that, I, as I argued before, and I think you, I thought you got it, but I'll, I'll say, I'll remind you. Okay. The decay of our civilization is tied in with the decay and decline of our moral values and our, our, our concept of normalcy. The land vo- vomited forth the people. And it, I think, you see, it's, it's the same thing with the marijuana. You know, the, the libertarians say, well, what do I care if my neighbor's smoking marijuana? And the answer is, I do care. It does affect me. Now, if he wants to go out in the Mojave Desert and shoot up, go ahead. Have at it. I don't care. Wait, what's the difference? But if you're living next door to me, I do care. Why? As I'm, ex- as I'm trying to explain to you. The decay of our civilization, and I'm not, you know, I'm not arguing to make it illegal to be gay. I'm arguing against encouraging it. I'm arguing against a culture which normalizes it in our movies and our TV shows. You know, when I see a, uh, a TV show where two men kiss, I turn it off. And I don't go back to that channel because I'm afraid I might see it again. It's disgusting. I don't want to have this shoved down my throat. You people want to nice engage in this phrase. disgusting. That's you people want to enga- yeah, exactly. You people want to engage in this disgusting behavior. Go do it in private. Okay, but I don't want to hear about it. Yes, absolutely. And okay. you're doing the right thing by turning off the channel. I think that that's entirely your choice to do so. Yeah, I'm lost now, as to why your neighbor but smoking I, weed is going to make it any different for you. Because he's driving on the roads. No, he he's may not. Be, you just no. You know what? Backyard. My neighbor's smoking pot, and my kids, and I don't know it, and my kids are going over to his house. I wouldn't let my kids go into the home I of a pothead. Let my kids go into any neighbor's. And home. you know what? I'll tell you what. I, I'm, as you know, I'm a landlord. I have rental properties. Sure. Okay. 
in your I have rental had, property. I have had numerous times. I've had numerous times yes. where I had Section 8 tenants. Those are people getting public subsidies. Understood. I used to take them. Yep. Right? Yeah. Every single goddamn time I took them. Every time. Eventually, they stopped paying the rent, even their small share of it, because the government was paying most of it. And when I go back in, the house is trashed. And I find the needles. And I find the drug paraphernalia. They're all drug addicts. Yeah. They I, trash the houses. They, they're incapable of holding jobs. They're incapable of... Li- they live like animals. There's filthy diapers and rotting food all over the house. This is how these people live. Now, don't tell me that that doesn't affect me. That does affect you. And exactly. You made decisions not your, to take... Your Honor, I rest my case. I'm whoa, glad you came whoa, around whoa, in my whoa, way, my so way of thinking. Back. No, 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 no. Yes, it does affect you. You took actions to not take any more Section 8. I'm not allowed to. Okay. Uh, you're, it is now illegal for a landlord to refuse to take a Section 8 tenant. Okay. Yeah, that's great. Now, let me go where I was trying to go because we'd already had this argument and I wasn't intending to have the same argument again. So I'm trying to go beyond the homosexual thing okay. to the very specialized and narrower class of deviants called transgenders. So what these, the, way, the, way, the way our culture is treating this issue now is that if a man believes he is a woman, the way it's being treated now is that his, there's something wrong with his body, that his mind is correct, that he is a woman, but that his body is the wrong body. God made a mistake. God took this woman and gave him a man's body, and therefore it's up to us, the medical community, to fix the problem by correcting the mistake that God made in giving this woman a man's body. That's the way they look at it. That nature, if you don't believe in God, nature made a mistake, gave this woman a man's body. I say no. A a man who believes that he's a woman is not a woman. God didn't make a mistake. He has a psychiatric disorder that causes him to believe that he's a woman. And if he goes through the treatment and he gets the medical procedure, my take on this is that having your body for a man, if you have your body sculpted to look like a woman, that is not the same as actually being a woman. You get these guys who go through this surgery where they have their genitals surgically removed and they have hormone treatments to try to change them so they have feminine characteristics. They still have male DNA throughout their body. They have no uterus. They have no menstrual cycle. They have no ovulation. They have no capacity to have babies. They have no capacity to produce breast milk. These people are not women. They're not women. They are emotionally disturbed. They're freaks who've been, and and, and they've been victimized. They're they're victims. They've been victimized by unscrupulous doctors who violated their Hippocratic oaths by performing this grotesque and horrific surgery. So my feeling is that doctors who cut off men's penises and cut off their genitals where there's no medical necessity to do so, those doctors should go to jail. This is a crime. It's called, it's a felony. It's called mayhem. You know what mayhem is? The definition of mayhem? Mayhem is the crime of cutting off someone, a part of someone else's body. And, and just to, to illustrate this point, uh, 
the, these people that, that go into the, for this surgery, they're, they're mentally disturbed. They, they, they actually lack the legal competence to give permission to remove part of their bodies because they're mentally ill. They, should, they shouldn't be considered legally competent to give permission for that. If, if the doctor did it without permission, without legal permission, they go to jail for it, right? Now think about this. Suppose, suppose a, a patient goes to a surgeon and he doesn't ask for sex change surgery. He says, doctor, I know that I'm actually a one-armed man. I've been a one-armed man from, since I was born. And I believe this in my heart. I know that I'm actually a one-armed man. I want you to remove my left arm surgically because it doesn't comport with my idea of what my body is supposed to be. I'm supposed to be a one-armed man. Now, do you think that any doctor could cut off his arm and not go to jail for it? That's what they're doing. They're cutting off parts of people's bodies where there's no medical reason to do it. The guy, his, it is so obvious that as somebody who says, well, I'm, a, I'm actually a woman, and you look at me and say, no, you're not. You have all male body parts. You have facial hair. You have all secondary uh, you know, male characteristics. You have a deep voice. You have testosterone. You're not a woman. You're a man. It's obvious. Anybody looking at you can see that you're a man. He says, no, 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 I'm a woman. Well, he's not in touch with reality. That's like the sun is shining. I say, Stuart, sun's not shining. It's raining. You can see me. You're hallucinating. You're not in touch with reality. And it's incomprehensible that the medical profession has allowed this. It's totally unethical. And these people should be helped for their psychiatric problem instead of cutting off part of their body. Yeah, but you just mentioned earlier that the psychiatric community refuses to treat, treat, treat that way because they find it unethical. So these Correct. are the scientists that... Oh, yeah, scientists. Psychiatrists. Yeah, they're, they're sci scientists, I know. Okay, so and they're, and, and they're, they're the high priesthood. Therefore, I'm not allowed to have an opinion about it because they've already decided the issue. About it, but what we're My opinion is correct. You know what? Everybody listening to me knows that I'm correct. Even the liberals know I'm correct. Even the homosexuals know I'm correct. They all know. You know, the, they know what I'm saying is right. Everybody knows it's right. You even know it's right. It's not politically correct. It doesn't go along with what our culture I, I is telling us these don't days. I think it's right, though. But for thousands of years, everybody knew. No, for thousands of years, this still happened. It still happened. How does nature make that mistake of putting that woman into that man's body? I, you could be right. It could be a crossed wire. But if it's a crossed wire, it's a crossed wire. Fix the wire. How do you do it? If the psychiatrists even say, we can't fix it, because they did try for many, many years. To so what about it. my analogy? What about cutting off my arm? I go into the doctor. I, I say, think you know I don't think do? I should have a left arm. Here, let me. The doctor's going to cut fix, it off. Let me fix this by telling you my opinion on that. If someone wants to go in and cut off their arm because they think they feel they should be a one-armed person, they should be able to go do it. No, they should be. No, you know what? You know what? We I have a we, ha we have a legal standard about, for that. I also feel the same way about people who want to end their life. I think they should be able to do it. We have a legal standard for this. We already have a legal precedent, mm -hmm. okay? The legal precedent says that a person can be involuntarily committed to a mental hospital if, he, if left alone, he would do harm to himself or to others, mm -hmm. okay? You can have somebody involuntarily committed to a mental hospital if they would do harm to themselves as a result of a, a mental or emotional disorder, okay? Somebody wants to cut off their arm, you put them in a mental hospital and you protect them from harming themselves. It happens all the time. Sure. It happens all the time. 
they're they're mental patients. They want to stab themselves. They want to do things. We don't let them do it. It's how cruel, how cruel to let people harm themselves in that way. And you tell me, how is this any different? You want to cut off your genitals? You got to be out of your fucking mind to do that. You have to be. Would you do it? I, I don't need to do no, it. No, of course. I like you, you gotta be. Of course. That, but I, there are people that don't. And people who don't like there having left arms. Get nose what jobs. about you want to have your nose job? What about if you? Brutal. What if you tell your doctor? You <laughs> what tell, if you go get your eyebrows done? I don't uh, know. Uh, so, so Stuart, stuff, people get hair. I, it, all this stuff is self mutilation, but we do it for really? whatever purpose. Oh, I see. And so, so let's say you you go to the, your surgeon. You say, you know, I'm really a blind person. But I'm not. I, I'm, I'm a blind that. person in a sighted person's body. I need to have my eyeballs removed. Would you do that I for me, please? I would never do that. And, so the do- you're and you think, up, again, you're you think you could? You, no, it's not any different. You tell it me. Is, ha- it's not real. Could you find a single surgeon in the entire country who would remove your eyeballs for no, no medical reason? I, here, here, let's let's use a real life, like based in reality discussion. If I had an opportunity to go get my pancreas cut out and put a fake one in, I would do it like that. Why? Because I'm diabetic, and it would be then that me. I said no medical. There's, that's a medical reason. There's no medical necessity. I can take shots for the rest of my life. No, there's no medical. No, no, necessity that is that's that. a medical choice. I don't see it any different. Uh, you got to be kidding. Nope. I see it no different. I see. Well, I had part of my prostate removed for medical reason. Yeah. Yeah. Now, if somebody was perfectly healthy, there was they didn't have an enlarged prostate. Who, who goes to the surgeon and says, "Will you remove my prostate or part of my prostate?" He's going to say, oh, of course not. I'm not going to do that. It would be unethical. It would be violating my Hippocratic Oath. Okay, well, then just remove my genitals. Oh, okay. Hello? I don't, I don't think it's that easy of a discussion, by the way. It is. I Simple solutions to complex. Know, I don't think you know enough about transgender reassignment surgery <laughs> to have this discussion. Uh, are you telling me that they don't remove their genitals? They do, but it's not like they just go in and go... How much is this? 50 bucks? I'll take it. That doesn't happen. That, that's not how it goes. It is not how it goes. Is, is, it that, is that your idea time. of an argument? No. Okay. My idea of an argument is okay. we don't make up things. We don't right. make there's up nothing, there's, nothing, there's nothing more to say on the subject. <laughs> okay. Yes, as I say, Jim Greenfield offering simple solutions to complex problems, cutting through obfuscation like a razor through whipped cream. Jim wouldn't let me thank you for listening to the Jim Greenfield Show. He said the listeners should thank him for such a brilliant show, and he isn't thanking anyone. Jim also said I couldn't say, I hope you weren't offended. He says he doesn't give a shit if you were offended. And if you were, that's your problem. However, if you were offended, and I usually am, or disagree with Jim, which I tend to do every week, or have anything you'd like to say... You can email Jim, and Jim may read your email on the air or invite you on the show to air your grievance or, I don't know, whatever. You can email Jim at jimgreenfieldshowpodcast at gmail.com. This is Stuart Rice, a.k.a. Stuart White, or whatever Jim is going to call me this week, the overworked and underappreciated producer of The Jim Greenfield Show, starring Jim Greenfield. All recordings are copyright 2017, Jim Greenfield.